Thank you for listening to one out of four experts. I'm Brutey the Dragon. Remember, these humans are not real experts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to One Out of Four Experts, the show where my co-hosts and I endeavor to bring you topics of interest, topics and subjects just one week before we knew basically nothing about. (laughs) Each segment, one of the four of us will be your expert and the other three of us will patiently await the end. Thank you. Thank you, Aunt Denise. Uh, you can go back. Yeah, thanks, where are my cigarettes? Thanks, exactly. Bev Big Head. Where are my <laughs> cigarettes? You said if I read this funny little line, I get my cigarettes. Rocco. <laughs> Rocco. And if they're not menthol, you got to get me some menthol cigarettes. Oh, boy. <clears throat> so Josh, nom, 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 nom. Josh is sick. I'm not sick. We, we've already. We, oh, wait, wait, wait. He's Josh, can I by the way. Say something. We will have already talked about this. They will have heard that the reason why we had to take a bye week was because uh-huh. I and then subsequently Josh both lost our voices entirely. Yeah. And now have just barely gotten them back. Josh is still catching up. Mm-hmm. Um, Always. And, and who so, are you again? yeah, that's Josh. I'm Caitlin. I'm Joel. I want Caitlin to introduce me. And that's Chris. Thank you. I'm Josh. I'm okay. Chris. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're not. I'm not going to. All right. So. Go around again. So. We still don't how, know who's going first. So. I, not me. You ever think about how flat the earth is? Mm. Oh, it, it's extremely flat. Have you ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End? Pretty much proves it. Oh, yeah. And then the green light makes your boat flip over yeah. or whatever happens. That's how you escape Davy Jones' life. Oh, that was but such it, a good movie. Not, and it I love how it all made sense. Yeah, but it's not only... See, I love when the lady turned escape, into crabs. It's not only how you escape Davy Jones' locker, it's also how you enter it if you are Davy Jones. Oh, or, what a metaphor. spoiler alert, Will Turner, who takes over for Davy Jones. Will Turner! Bootstrap Bill Turner. This is our fucking Pirates of the Caribbean fan cast, I guess. So huh? we have to yeah. decide who's going first this week. Uh-huh. Because How about uh, it's whoever can recite the most lines from Pirates of the Caribbean I would World's be going End. last then. Not yeah, not able to do any of that. Oh darn it. Um <coughs> Why is the rum gone? That's not <laughs> from like the Christmas. movie that it's I It's in said. all of them. They say that in all of them. Oh, Easter It age. becomes a running joke, and it's less funny every Oh, time. I got one. This is Sparta. All right. Yeah. Well. I really subverted that, our expectations, Josh. Josh Good. dodged it. So. You're a regular J.J. Abrams. Yeah, you're a regular. J.J. stands for Josh Josh. <laughs> I'm not going first. Um... <laughs> How are we going to do this? Sounds like you shouldn't go at all, almost. (laughs) How are we going to do this? Yeah, we're sorry in advance that our voices don't sound good, but like we didn't want to take another week off. No, yeah, we can't do it. So you're all just going to have to deal with it. It's going to be great. Who's... I guess Chris and I have probably gone the least times first. You've gone first point. the least. Yeah. At this point. I don't know which one of us that is. All right. But well, let's just let's just rock, paper, scissors real quick. Ooh, that's okay. a good I idea. I like that better. We were going to roll a die, but it's uh, got musical notes yeah. on and there's it. 12, and there's 12 sides. It's the opposite <laughs> of a regular die. <laughs> yeah. It's so. like if you could picture a, a die and then picture the could, exact opposite. Yeah. And then picture a die that just doesn't work for what you want to use it for. <laughs> and then that's the die, die that we're using. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, rock, paper, scissors, uh, just one round or best two out of three? Oh, best two out of three. Gotta be really? best two Gotta out of three. Gotta be three? God. Yeah, here we it go. has to. Okay. Somebody shout out. You both have to do it. You have to look each other and make eye contact. Right. And you say, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And you reveal the item on shoot. Okay. okay. So, you have to, you have the Thank power. Thank you for explaining that game. I appreciate it. Here yeah. we go. I'm okay. left-handed. This is hard. Yep. Uh, it shouldn't rock, be harder. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, one for me. Okay. Oh, one for oh, this is tense, everybody. Who <laughs> was so tense? <gasps> and then they both did rock. Oh, both did scissors. Oh, I got him. I got him with the with the with the scissors. Joel with the W. All right, Joel. Um, spout some nonsense. All right, guess I'm going first. Hold on, I actually was not prepared. I need to get my topic out. Have to research my topic real quick. <laughs> <You> have to, <laughs> have to pick a topic. Research real quick. And pick, come up with something. Uh, I'm gonna try to go on my phone this time, y'all. 
Yeah, I recommend it. I do it every week. Yeah, you're lighter on your feet that way. You Is can it? wave exactly. your arms. Yeah, this will be my. You can do. You can be a, time trying. a lot more emphatic. Emphatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that it matters for the podcast. <clears throat> so it's October of 1985, and you're about to start work on the quote, biggest summer blockbuster of 1986. The plan is to beat the next Eddie Murphy vehicle, the Golden Child, into theaters. You got to beat them. You got to get there. You got to get there first. So you have about 39 weeks to make a movie. Unfortunately, more than half of that time is going to be taken up by the creation of a very elaborate set, which is a massive undertaking by John Lloyd, a fun recreation of San Francisco's Chinatown with the addition of some most excellent fantasy-themed underground tunnels, complete with gnarly monsters. Is this somehow another yeah. Ninja Turtles If you've movie? brought another Ninja Turtle... This is, this is the chance for all to guess, right here. Oh this is the God, one spot. And oh, there's a, actually two spots for you to guess. If you brought a turtle, I will kill it. <laughs> there's no turtles. Anybody? Okay. So you're John Howard Carpenter, and you're about to direct the cult classic Big Trouble in Little China, starring Kurt Russell as the John Wayne impersonating truck driver, Jack Burton. John Carpenter really likes Kurt Russell. He does. He's got a type. He's got a type. Holds up. I am a huge John Carpenter fan. No, I said Kurt Russell. And I do enjoy a good Kurt Russell. A good Kurt Russell. Thanks. Uh, he really rustles my feathers. Oh, yeah. Escape nice. from New York, Escape from LA, all the other ones. <laughs> Isn't he in the Those thing? Those are like the two words. Yes, the thing. Yes, that's the good one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so this shit is ridiculous, you think to yourself. Not the script. Well, that's ridiculous, but in a totally good way. No, what's ridiculous is how you're going to prep and shoot this movie in 15 weeks on a budget of $25 million. To nail these fight scenes, you're going to have to use, quote, every cheap gag, trampolines, wires, reverse movements, and upside-down sets. Your vision is to flip the traditional action trope of white dude hero with a minority sidekick, and you're going to give your Asian-American hero a big, dopey truck driver as a sidekick. (laughs) And so, it was. A campy, trope-filled, mildly racist, yet enduring kung fu movie Jack Burton, as the blundering white dude trying his damnedest to be the action hero, is constantly being shown up and left behind by the truly skilled Wang Chi. The film highlights this in some very obvious ways. In one scene, Jack Burton shoots his gun in the air just before a fight. This causes a boulder to break away from the ceiling, which knocks him unconscious for the majority of the events for the rest of the fight. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the rest of the film. No, no. He's in the movie. All right. So has anybody anybody seen any of these John Carpenter flicks? I, I, I want to be honest with you. Because you're my friends. Uh-huh. I haven't. I don't like where this is going. I None haven't. of them? None I, of them. I haven't knowingly. I've never heard of the man. I will not see any of his movies. I, I haven't <laughs> seen. Love it, it. My, have, my not having seen them isn't by choice. It's just by like circumstance. They're very good. Y'all I know. Please go see John I movie. want to. Just do it. Whether or not I see one of his flicks depends entirely on how much I like your topic. And so far, it's not looking like Ooh. I'm going to see oh, one. Oh, well. No pressure, let dude. Me, let me give it to you then. Because I like your let topic him, so much, him, it couldn't possibly live up to it. Chris, let okay. him give it to you, All right. is what he said. <laughs> let him give it to you. So the story was originally penned by Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein. Wasn't able to find any relation to the known P.O.S. Harvey Weinstein, though, which is good. Um, So David Z. and uh, Gary Goldman knocked this thing out. It was actually written as a Western set in 1890, and uh, it had the same general premise. It had some fantasy aspects, which it still does. The character traits uh, are mostly the same. 20th Century Fox, who produced the film, decided to hire a screenwriter named W.D. Richter to rewrite the script. He decided to bring the story into modern day, and the idea was, quote, you have a much better chance of making direct contact with the audience, if it's in current times, which was... Yeah, dum-dums can't handle no histories. Sometimes, yeah. It's just it's just better. It's more fun for everybody involved. I don't know. Uh, the kids will dig it. So, Carpenter... The kids, you haven't thought of the kids. You gotta get the kids. Carpenter was actually asked by Paramount to direct the rival film, Golden Child, and he turned it down because he liked the script for Big Trouble in Little China more. 
Just that simple. He had a long-standing desire to direct a kung fu movie, and he figured uh, they both had a similar theme. So just whatever, right? Just pick the one that you like the most. So although he did say Golden Child is, quote, a very fine script, it has its problems, but it also has one big plus, Eddie Murphy. And he the, said the it'll be Murphinator. Correct. The, that's yeah, what they called him. That's what he became known as. Donkey. <laughs> yep. So it'll be hard to pull off, but if they do, it could be a wonderful movie. That's what he said. Did they? Did they do that? They did. It's okay, a good, good movie. The Golden Child is a very good movie. It's Aww. a fun. It's a fun one. Fun fact: It does not have the cult following that this one does. That so, was fun. <laughs> Y'all might have known about Big Trouble in Little China, but who knew? about the golden child anybody heard of the golden child heard of neither yeah i've not seen nor really know much about either (laughs) well well i've seen both and i've enjoyed both they're very good i'm gonna get into the plot of this movie because since y'all haven't seen it it's this should be fun the movie opens with a prefacing scene which is taking place after the events of the film um so character egg shen the film's white wizard character, played by Victor Wong, he's regaling his attorney with the story of the film. So it's kind of like a narration thing, starting the scene. The scene does a couple of things. It was actually added into the movie because the execs of the of Fox decided that Jack Burton wasn't heroic enough, which, as we said earlier, the whole freaking point of the movie was to you know not make him the, the hero of the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so Carpenter added this scene anyway to appease the execs, and it basically just sets up Jack as like the film's hero in a certain sense, and it says, quote, he showed great courage is how they kind of line that up as... For some reason, the execs were like, oh, as long as you say that, we're good. This is fine. Um, it also immediately introduces the fantasy and magical elements of the movie because Egg Shen, as the wizard, casts some ridiculous lightning spell as he's trying to convince his attorney that this all really happened. So the story goes, it's a dark and stormy night. Jack Burton, the truck driver of the Pork Chop Express, was what? making a delivery Ooh. to San Francisco's I Chinatown. Like yeah, it's good. There's a lot of great t-shirts. You should get one. He spends a night gambling with his old friend and restaurant owner, Wang Chi. Uh, he ends up winning a bet with Wang, and uh, Wang bets Jack that he can cut a bottle in half with his big knife. And when he fails, he sends the bottle right at Jack's head. Jack catches the bottle, showcasing his cat-like reflexes. So in order to make sure he follows through with payment, Jack Burton gives him a ride to the airport where Wang is picking up his fiance. And his fiance is Miao Lin. So to trim the fat, we're just gonna skip around a bunch right now. And plus I don't wanna spoil too much of the movie. Miao Yin is, is special because she has green eyes. Uh, green eyes special. are important in this story because the evil wizard is Lopan, and he needs to marry a girl with green eyes in order to break his curse. Okay? Hell yeah. Obviously. So, <laughs> Thank you for the input, Christian Bale. Yeah. <laughs> Where is she? <laughs> so we quickly meet another... Oh, but was Rachel... Jesus Christ. Oh, be in the furnace. Mr. Bale, how, let, me, let me sew your costumes for you. And then I'll do the prestige. Neither of those people are in this movie. Um, so Your eyes we, lit up when you said the, the I prestige. love doing a Michael Caine impression. Jesus, there's no Michael Caine in this film. What? Stop it. It would Just, be better if he were. That makes no sense, Joel. Guys, I got a lot more. I got oh a lot more. God, we got to go. We got to go. How about we just watch it? So in the airport, we meet another girl. She's a lawyer. Her name happens to be Gracie Law. So, yes, she's a lawyer. Her last name is Law. You're going to have to deal with that. Uh, She quickly becomes Jack Burton's love interest. So now we got two heroes, two girls, right? So the setup setup is we got two heroes, two girls. We got one badass cursed Chinese wizard who kidnaps both girls and quickly decides he wants to marry both, probably fuck and uh, definitely kill one of them. uh, And hilarity ensues. So... There's some gang violence that happens between some good guys and some bad guys, and then the bad guys are in black, obviously, and the good guys are in yellow, and the evil wizard has a relatively unexplained posse of three powerful fighters known as the Three Storms. They are thunder, rain, and lightning. Just, that's that happens. Something to note for those, uh, if you've seen the movie, the character who plays Rain, uh, his name is Peter Kwong, 
the actor's name is Peter Kwong, excuse me. He stated the best part of making Big Trouble in Little China was the character's gorgeously long hair, which was a dream come true for the actor, even though he had to get in and out of three hours of makeup every day just to get out in and out of that $3,000 wig. To wrap up with a few spoilers as possible... Our heroes team up with the good wizard and tourist bus driver, Egg Shen, from the beginning of the movie. I was going to guess the bus driver. (laughs) Yeah, guess what? His bus is called the Egg Fu Young (laughs) Chinatown Tour Bus. So, uh, along with a few of the cool gang members, they go to rescue the girls from the evil wizard, Lo Pan. After bumbling his way through most of the fights in the movie, relying heavily on the skills of his friend, Wang, Jack surprises everyone by using his cat-like reflexes to catch his own knife after missing the first throw and then having it thrown back at him and then he throws it back at the evil wizard and he proceeds to land the killing blow with a perfect 360 no-scope knife uh, right to the dome and uh, kills the cursed wizard. Just as a note for fun, one of the three storms, Thunder, is so infuriated by the death of Lopan that he simply puffs himself up like a balloon and he pops. He just pops, which is fucking great. And if you know a John Carpenter movie, it's like all plastic. Yeah, I don't know John Carpenter movies. I do know balloons, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a balloon. Uh, Uh, All right, that's it. I'm seeing the movie now. That's all you care about. You should have led with that. So our heroes return to the restaurant with their righteous babes, rescued and celebrate their friends. Jack decides not to settle down with Gracie Law, even though she offers to just live on the road in his truck. Uh, That's the dream. Yeah, I know, right? I'm glad she did that. The real hero of the movie, Wang, prepares to marry his fiance and our big dumb idiot Jack. He gets back in the old pork chop express and rides off into another stormy night. So, in the end, Eddie Murphy won the battle for Best Chinese Cultural Appropriation Movie. Although both movies didn't do very well, Big Trouble was uh, made for $25 million and grossed only $11 million. Um, People, so, like, love it, though, right? Yeah, that's the thing. So, Golden Child made $79.8 million like when they were released around the same time. John Carpenter has the last laugh because the film has a far greater cult following nowadays, and uh, with a current score... Of 79 tomatoes. 79 nice. tomatoes. That's not too bad. How That's many yeah. tomatoes does Golden Child have? I did not check that one. You, how could you not check that? I didn't that? want to compare them oh, like that. I didn't want to do it, Chris. I wasn't going to let it happen. didn't want to compare apples to tomatoes. So I do want to say... I'm going to look it up. Uh, you go for that. You can, you can tag it in at the end. Uh, <laughs> basically, this is arguably a very bad movie. And as stated in an article on uh, a website called inverse.com. Its appropriation of Asian culture may have seemed funnier than it does a generation later. Watch it today and its flagrant stereotyping becomes a tad more um, problematic, to put it gently, or jaw-droppingly offensive, to put it more accurately. Which is kind of fair. John Carpenter does still make the valid argument that the true heroes of the movie are the Asian Americans, even though many of the laughs are had at their expense. It's worth noting that at the time the movie came out, the LA Times actually ran an article about the divide in Asian American communities over the film. So some some people were very outraged and others were just kind of like, this is all funny and we are kind of the heroes of this film, so fuck it. And I just want to end with this little nugget of info. Carpenter and his band sang the title theme. I love when that happens. So... <laughs> Chris, you can hit that whenever you uh, want, but give me those tomatoes. If yeah, you I'll do more work for you. Tomatoes, it, it did way worse. Than oh. yeah, current, what's its current score? Uh, it's t- t- tomato meter or tomatometer. How many tomatoes? <laughs> 26. <laughs> give us the gun. Oh, that's like not a lot of tomatoes. Yeah. No, that's, that is... 26, right, let's listen. 26 tomatoes that won't last you a week if you're eating tomatoes every meal. Here's yeah. John Carpenter with the theme of Big it, Trouble in Literature. Welcome back. We're going to talk to Chris about some very pressing matters. And we'll just let Chris, we'll we'll let Chris tell you about it. Okay. So, fun fact. The foot. Fun foot fact. 
The foot is among. Oh, Joel's gonna like this. <laughs> I really thought you were gonna go into the Foot Clan from the Ninja Turtles for a minute. And I got no. excited. The foot is among the heaviest producers of sweat in the body. What the fact? It can produce <laughs> what the fact? It can produce over a quarter of a pint of sweat per day. Why Badass. have you done this? <laughs> why did you do can this? I ask a question? Yes. Why? Why uh, have you so done I'm, this? So now I'm going to open the floor to questions. Okay. Well, okay. I have a statement. Yes. I can't believe you've done this. Um, I have another question. Yes. How come? Joel? This all makes perfect sense because dogs sweat through their Wait, feet heavily I have, as well. I have one more question. Yes. It smells like popcorn when dogs' feet sweat. Ooh. That's not a it question. Does. Uh, I have another question, question Chris. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Then I guess I'm not finishing my topic. No, do it. Okay. Is it is the rest of your topic about sweat or feet? That's my question. Uh technically both, technically neither. So I want to talk about socks today. Oh, um, that's so nice. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a sock is an item of clothing worn on the feet. And uh, we'll often cover the ankle, sometimes the calf. Sometimes you pull a sock up over your whole body, and then you're never seen again, Joel. Uh, <laughs> Is there another place that and that people might put a sock on their on their hand, and they'll turn it into a puppet, and okay. then make it have a personality disorder? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, did I actually? You whoa. actually brought the topic you said you were going to bring. Minus the puppet part. Wow. That Just was not what you said. And I know because I listened to that episode today. Same. And when wow. you said the thing about the sock puppets and giving them personality disorders, oh. I lost it because that was that was funny. I actually didn't even realize I did that. So uh, Wait to tell the truth. Point for me for bringing the topic I said I would. Chris gets the first point of the game. So um, machine knit socks were first produced in the 16th century. But socks in some form or another have existed since ancient times. Okay, ha- ha- prove it. Why do you know, what are the socks from ancient centuries well, from? Let's get, like? let's get into it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but first I have other things to say, but we'll get into the ancient times eventually. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, All I'm going to be thinking I'm about is what I'm not going to jump around my topic just because no, no, you, you want should, me to. You shouldn't. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I, I'm uh, concerned about the ancient peoples and why they felt they needed socks. Well, but I will, I will hold my tongue. Chris, it will, continue. It will all become clear. So the uh, the main role of the sock is to absorb all that foot sweat, so you can wring it out into a glass at the end of the day and leave it out for foot Santa to drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, they help absorb sweat. Uh, and they, Chris, they move. Chris gets a point. <laughs> just, I'll take, anytime I'll take anytime somebody point. actually writes a good joke into their segment, <laughs> we should just get the point. I mean, we've been doing that. Anytime so, we're like. Give the man a point. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, uh, Chris is going to get the most points in his stuff. They help absorb sweat and they move it to an easier to reach area uh, where the air can evaporate it. And I want you all to think about how sweaty your feet are right now, if you weren't already. Quite. Just feel the sweat. I was wearing rain boots. Feel so. the sweat. Yeah, I mean, Caitlin and I do not have shoes on in your room. We're enjoying the freedom of not wearing shoes and letting our sweat evaporate off of our socks. Yeah, into the air that I breathe when mm-hmm, I sleep. That we're all currently breathing, yep. Yeah, so socks are also used to help keep you warm. There are big fuzzy socks and wool socks, and they uh, they help prevent against frostbite, and they're great for... Ooh, Chris, what about toe socks? Okay, point for Joel. I'll get into toe socks. Oh, uh- Thank you. Thank you. I was going to say they're they're great for cuddle time. Mm-hmm. Fuzzy socks. Yeah. Try it out. So socks have a number of practical roles, but are also used as fashion items. When I wrote this, I was uh, I was wearing milk socks uh, with milk cartons on them. Right now, I don't have fancy socks on. Chris usually has great socks. But I will give a point to whichever one of you has the best socks on. Oh, oh. it's not right me. Now. I am a square. None of I us are wearing fun socks. wear just, just matching pairs. Okay, yeah. so I just have white socks. Plain black. Always black because they never get dirty. Josh is plain black. Caitlin, honestly, plain white. I feel like well, it's got like a gray tip. Joel's are the yeah. Most Joel exciting. Joel has the best socks on right now. They're black, but they got gray bottoms, gray tips, and with some red writing on the top. Probably the and brand. some green. There's some green in there. They're darn tough green, and they're like stripes on the bottom, kind darn, of darn tough socks. Uh, shout out to Vermont. Darn tough socks. Thank you. All right, so a point for Joel. Best socks. We'll take a picture of his socks and put them on our Instagram. Ooh, we yeah, will. Yeah, pe- we'll content the, giving the people what they want. <laughs> so yeah, Joel, Joel gets right a now. point. Very cool. So let's talk a little bit about the word sock. Uh, the word sock comes from the old English word sock with two C's. 
you were uh, ringing out this topic yeah, like like, like, a, like sock. a sock like a sweaty sock <laughs> it comes from the english word sock with two c's uh like dummy thick uh in old english this referred to a light slipper in turn, uh, sock with two C's comes from the Latin word socus, which was used to describe a light, low-heeled shoe which Roman actors wore. Oh. So socks have been around for a long time. The oldest surviving pair oh, of socks. Yes, my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the oldest surviving pair of socks was excavated from the Nile and are from around the year 300 to 500. So somewhere in that 200 year range. The fact you use the word excavated just makes me think that they were made of rocks. Just like rock socks. Yeah, what were they made <laughs> well, of? So they look like lobster claws Ooh. because they're red and they have split toes. Did people, oh, ha- like was that socks. how people were back then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason, any guesses as to why I had the split toes? I already did. Um, to make them. That's how they were back maybe then. Maybe more like mittens. So they could pick things up with their toes. None of those are correct. Okay. So the split toes were designed so socks could be worn with sandals. So when people get uh, oh. made fun of for wearing socks and sandals, it's actually what ancient Egyptians did, and it made you cool. They were shoobies. Yeah. So, uh, But th- <laughs> those are just the oldest surviving pair of socks. Uh, also, before I go on, I want you to imagine that the socks you're currently wearing become the oldest surviving pair of socks from our time, and they get displayed in a museum in about 2,000 years. Oh, my God. Are you catching Josh's thing? <clears throat> no, I, okay. I just, I, I'm, uh, I'm empathetic. And so when you keep saying the oldest surviving, why do we suspect that there's more? I mean, there had to have been more. Okay. Most, what are the odds of us finding the first pair of socks? Yeah. Okay. I yeah. mean, most clothing is made from pretty destructible materials. Yeah. Like cloth and so forth. So glass the fact that they were able to find any surviving is pretty good pretty good unless they became like fossilized did they become fossilized no no there was enough time for that you could still see the the material so uh socks go back even further than the lobster socks the oldest model of sock was made from animal skins uh that you were just gathered around your sweaty ancient feet and you tied them around your ankles uh in the 8th century bc ancient greeks wore matted animal hair around their sweaty ancient feet the romans wrapped their sweaty ancient feet with leather or woven fabrics and around the second century a.d the romans started actually sewing the fabrics together to make fitted socks before that, it was just sort of like wrapping a towel around your foot and just tying it up with a rubber band. But now socks are made to fit your specific sweaty ancient feet. Around the 5th century AD, socks were worn to symbolize purity by holy people in Europe. Hmm. In the Middle Ages, people wore socks with garters attached to them because uh, this was still before elastic bands were added. As britches became shorter, this is fun, socks became longer. <laughs> so this is funny to picture because... Uh, a funny thing happened where for some reason the length of pants just started getting shorter and to compensate your socks got longer so your legs were still totally covered but your <laughs> socks just kind of went up to your knees yeah i feel like we've all kind of seen that that yeah. look it's real skin. S- sexy <laughs> yeah, it is very sexual yeah you got your high-heeled boots on you got your high socks you got your short pants yeah so the pants went up and then the length of your of your socks just followed and socks got more expensive because of it, because mm-hmm. it was there was more sock, and it was like way more of your outfit. Yeah. So uh, by 1000 AD, socks became a symbol of wealth among nobility. Yeah. So uh, the knitting machine was invented in 1589, uh, which meant that socks could now be knitted six times faster than by hand. But the knitting machine and uh, hand workers were actually they worked side by side making socks until around 1800 which we all know the knitting machine uprising of 1800. Right. Um, I won't get into that. The Rest next in big, peace, those who sacrificed their lives. Uh, R.I.P. Uh, the next big technological revolution that changed socks forever was the introduction of nylon in 1938. Nylon was the beginning of blending two or more yarns during sock production, and this is still done today. And uh, socks can be made from a variety of materials like cotton, wool, nylon, acrylic, polyester, or spandex. To increase the softness of the sock, other materials like silk, linen, cashmere, or bamboo might be used. Ooh. What's uh, the best what's the best sock material, Chris? What do you what's your what's your opinion on that? One hundred percent bamboo. Okay. Or the or the matted animal hair. I think if it ain't broke, 
don't fix it. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, so right. I'm, I'm going to take a direct quote from Wikipedia for this next part because I think it's funny. The color variety of sock choices can be any color that the designers intend to make the sock upon its creation. <laughs> That's a good sentence. Yeah. I just love how like intelligent they tried to make it sound, but it's just like, socks can be any color you want. <laughs> um, just believe. Yeah. So uh, Somebody wrote that, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, just, Timothy he Sock. A, he did a great job. <laughs> So, uh, ever since the 16th century, any ornamental designs on the ankle or side of a sock has been called a clock. What? So it's a sock clock, like when you have. So, like my uh, my milk my uh, my milk socks have milk cartons on them. Yeah. They're called clocks. Huh. Um, That's a fun fact. Yeah. What the fact? What the fact? What the fact? What the fact? Okay. Thank you. Jesus. The one time Joel doesn't talk. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Joel, we love you. <laughs> so uh, there are plenty of styles. You got bare or ankle socks, which are meant to be hidden when wearing shoes. So people think you're gross and that your feet smell and that there's just a pool of unsocked sweat in your shoes all the time that you're standing in. That's the impression you're trying to give off with the bare socks. Uh, there's knee-high socks. They're the opposite. If you wear knee-high socks, you're clearly overcompensating after previously being made fun of for your ankle socks. And now you're like, oh, no, I'm wearing socks. You guys, look, I'm not gross. Uh, Thigh-high socks exist. They're statistically worn by uh, primarily by females, but anyone can wear whatever socks you want. And uh, Wikipedia goes out of its way to mention that thigh-high socks are pretty sexy and, uh, <laughs> quote, can become the object of sexual attraction and fetishism by some men. Well, <laughs> Chris, is, Chris is staring intently at me. I don't, uh, I don't some know guy why. was reading that article on socks and was like, how can they mention thigh high socks and not talk about how hard it gets me? Yeah. <laughs> um, toe socks are ridiculous, but similar to the ancient Egyptian crab Nile socks. Uh, they allow the wearer to wear socks and sandals comfortably. So maybe they're the least ridiculous of all. Uh, individual toes never. A good it's like idea. those those sneakers that have the individual toes. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I know someone with those, and I don't like them as a person. My brother used to have a pair of those. <sighs> That's the who I'm referring to. Word. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, crew socks are your average everyday sock. If you wear them, you uh, you have no imagination. Uh, finally, there's the opposite of toe socks: the sock equivalent of fingerless gloves toeless socks and i can't think of no. a reason for these no point if you can think of a reason for toeless socks keep your feet warm but your but regular socks will keep your feet warmer now that to me sounds like a flex of wealth it's like oh i have money to buy this fucking pointless waste of material to put on my foot and just sweat into it it serves no functional purpose what if what if the tips of all your toes were shorn off ooh in an accident, mm -hmm. and, and then so you, you got like wooden prosthetic little toesies. Yeah, and, and you so, wanted to show them off, and you wanted to show them off because you're you you used to be self conscious about it, but now you're like, you know what? I'm gonna be proud. I'm gonna reclaim my body. Or or I, I I'm leaning Caitlin, but get tell me. So you wear open toed shoes, okay, but they still cover most of your foot, right? You got a shoe okay. that's got maybe a little a little peekaboo, little peekaboo. <laughs> Actually, that okay. does kind of make sense. And right. So you you're still going to be sweating you, down you there. You still want a sock. Yeah. But you want to show off them toes? Yeah, I, honestly, I think Joel should get the point. Well, I think I'm that's the good. real that's the real reason hers is funnier. No, hers is more inspiring. Yep. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give so you too. all a point because you're all my friends. I mean, either way, you're showing okay. off your toes, right? Like you got wooden toes. Great. Cool. Very cool. Either you, way, you Joel's happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. I mean, most of the time. Yeah. So uh, finally, uh, there's a whole section on, on Wikipedia called effects. And it's just one sentence. And it states uh, <laughs> that the right that sorry, I had spelled this wrong because I can't spell. Um, it's just one sentence. And it states it that uh, tight socks can cause hair loss. <laughs> presumably on your legs but it doesn't specify oh real talk my dad's yeah. shins are bald yeah because he's had to wear like high socks every day for his job for over 20 years i was yeah. gonna say the same thing about your dad i feel like it, it messes it definitely fucks up the, the the hair on my toes a lot well, well just cut what, them oh, off and get, some, get wooden get some ones oh yeah you went a different direction with <laughs> yeah, that but. sure sure lose the toes or lose the socks got it copy yeah. that one or the other thanks y'all <laughs> <clears throat> 
um, believe in yourself. I am Brutey. Subscribe to one out of four experts. I am a dragon. They are on Instagram. Welcome back to one out of four experts. Uh, this is Joel, and uh, I'm going to introduce you to my friend Caitlin, who's going to give us a topic of it's interest. Nice to meet everyone. Okay, so I'm going to be talking about Count Victor Lustig. See a vampire? No, he but he is a count. Count is Victor Lustig. Lustig or Lustwig? Lustig. Lustwig. Nope, no W's, okay. I promise. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about Count Victor Lustig, a.k.a. Tricky Vic. Ooh. Okay? Ooh, I like that. I like so that he is an extremely talented con artist from Ooh. Austria-Hungary, which is now no longer a thing. And he lived from 1890 to 1947, so that's the time period we're in. Which I feel like was a really good time to be a con artist. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I can put into words why, but. Mm. I get it though. Yeah, totally. It was like, we were in like the modern age, but we didn't have like too much technology. Yeah, we couldn't you know? keep track of people. There were, yeah. There were grifters. Yeah, totally. So many more schemes back then. Mm -hmm. yeah. Plus an old timey guy is definitely who you picture when you hear the phrase con artist. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know. Maybe he sounds something like this. Uh -oh. oh, please, sir. Crenshaw don't want nothing. He don't need nothing. Just a solitary bean or crust of water. And mayhaps a warm place to lay Crenshaw's head. Nothing fancy like. He don't need no bed or pillow, sir. <laughs> And then, and so that's how he lures you in. And then before you know it, he fucking sells you the Eiffel Tower twice. <laughs> because that's what good old Tricky Vic was most infamous for. He sold the Eiffel Tower. He did not own the Eiffel Tower wow, uh, on two good. separate occasions. That's a good grift, y'all. Okay. Oh, so, badass. apologies to my mom. This is, I guess, another building topic, <laughs> which she doesn't like. Um, and I actually thought of it when you were talking about the Empire State Building, because at first I hadn't thought about Tricky Vic in a while. Oh, you just, is that somebody you think about on a, on a regular basis? <laughs> no, it's not. And so I was like, wait, did he try to sell the Empire State Building or another building? And so like, it was inspired by your topic, kind of, Josh. Nice. So let's get more into Victor Con Doom. As a child, he was really smart, but kind of a problem. I know, shocker. But he flies relatively under the radar until he's 19 when he starts to get deeply into gambling. Ooh. You know, like we all do when we're on a break from school in Paris and we're 19. And, uh, and this is what leads him down a life of crime. So when he, when he really starts to become a con man, he starts where all decent scam artists start, in the magical anything-goes land of international waters. Yeah. Okay, just like Scientology. And he starts by posing as a musical producer and conning rich investors into funding his fake Broadway play. Which, I mean, that sounds like a really fun character to play, so I get it. <laughs> I get why he wanted to do that. Mm. And he does this on ocean liners sailing between Paris and the New York City of New York City. So he's going on these ships back and forth, Paris, New York City, and he he's conning these, uh, these investors into giving him money for a Broadway play that doesn't exist. Then, World War One, the big W is what? Jur jury's out. We'll see. Yeah, We'll, we'll, we'll see how they feel, feel about out. that like one. That. Oh, okay. Uh, so this comes along, World War One happens, and those transatlantic ships are suspended during the war. So he has to figure out do it, how to do his scheming and scamming on land, which is so annoying. And he decides to settle in the United States. Now he's a legit con artist, right down to being able to do sleight of hand to lie Ooh. about shit. So there's this one time where he cons a bank, a, a United States bank, into giving him money for portions of bonds that he had. And then he uses sleight of hand to make them disappear, the bonds and the money, and then just like runs out of the bank. That's cool. Yeah, did you could he, just do that. <laughs> did, he, did he have a partner that he'd pass briefcases nope. off to? Uh. Nope. He did this all himself. In 1925, he's had enough of America's shit and he sails back to Paris. And when he gets there, he reads a newspaper article about the problems maintaining the Eiffel Tower inspiring a brand new con so quick mini topic the eiffel tower 
It's a wrought iron lattice tower on the Champ du Mar in Paris, France. And it's named after the engineer Gustave Eiffel, who's... Company designed and built the tower. It was constructed from 1887 to 1889 as the entrance to the 1889 World's World Fair. Fair. Mm-hmm. Good shit. You can have a, like an echo of a point. Well, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I did want to. Um, I did want to interrupt you, because, but I didn't. You can have a point then. Um, <laughs> good boy, you can have a point. <laughs> okay. Um, the tower is 1,063 feet tall, and it's the tallest structure in Paris. So, at the time Tricky Vic is there, the structure has fallen into disrepair, and the city was having a really hard time keeping up with maintenance efforts, and they were running out of money for it. And then, what really triggers the idea for him is that the article speculated that due to overall dismal public opinion of the situation, there might end up being a call for its removal. So, I guess he figures it won't be weird that someone would be trying to sell it, mm. okay? Especially if if he finds some absolute rubes, you know? <laughs> so step one is he invites a bunch of scrap metal dealers to a private meeting at a dope-ass Parisian hotel where he tells them he's the deputy director general of the Ministère de Poste et Telegraph. And he convinces them that the city wants to get rid of the tower and sell it for scrap metal. But this is all hush-hush because the city doesn't want anyone to know that this is what they're planning. Because it would be embarrassing and probably spark outrage from historians. And so he says, like, hey, you can't tell anybody about this. And that's why you haven't really heard about it. But we need to sell it for scrap metal. Who's Who wants it? Um, so they buy what he's selling or they, they buy his, his shtick. <laughs> Mostly because secret scrap metal meetings happen all the time. It was the 20s. Were they they in the walls of the hotel? (laughs) Did they like go through the elevator and then there's another door on the other side of the elevator and they walk through and then they're in the walls? I think they just... Are they in the walls, Caitlin? Who are 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 who in the walls? The The, humans? The meeting that they're having. No. Why? That would be cool. <laughs> like in a tight space, like behind the walls. Like yeah, in, no, they wanted the to, he wanted to like wine and dine these people in like a really nice Parisian hotel. I don't hotel. think you would have been able to pull off the sale if you're in just, the walls, Chris. I want it to be. Can you? Can you make? All it right, in the so walls? they're in the walls. <laughs> And these, so uh, Vicky pays attention to who seems the most gullible at this meeting. And he selects big old dum-dum André Poisson, which is French for fish, actually. Poisson. Do they make poisson croissants? Probably. (laughs) Point for Chris. (laughs) Um, It's just like a savory croissant. That's fine. Salmon flavored. Um, So Andre Poisson is like, oh, 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 I fish. I could buy the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) Jesus Christ. And Vic was like, well, you've come to the right place. And he convinces Poisson to give him a bunch of money. And then he yeets off to Austria. (laughs) He gets yeeted to Austria. Yeah. So, and here's the thing. Vic knows that Fish Face isn't going to go to the public or the press because he's probably way too ashamed of it happening in the first place. And he's right. Because no one reports it on it or reports it to the police. Um, and he was like checking Parisian newspapers for this like every single day. When did he tell these guys they were going to get this medal? It was like, you'll get it eventually. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And he was like, you haven't, we can't announce it yet. Because oh, it's we, they want it, the city wants to keep it hush hush, and he is just like such a good con artist. Like these people believe everything he's saying. So I told you he does that. He sells. He successfully sells the Eiffel Tower twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then not to he, the same person though. Yeah, not to the same person. <laughs> he tries weird. the same thing a few years later, but this time the mark does go to the police. So before they can investigate him, he fucks right back off to the United States because mm. you could do that back then. And then the other scam he's infamous for that people might know him for, and this sounded like vaguely familiar to me. I just didn't know the man's name or that he did the Eiffel Tower stuff. It's called the Romanian box, not Romanian, Romanian, R-U-M. And so while you might not know what this is immediately, you may have heard of this scam. He would sell a machine to idiots and told them it could replicate any denomination of currency. Okay, so it's a money machine that prints money, that Mm -hmm, duplicates any money. And he proves to them that it works by inserting a $100 bill, cranking a bunch of levers, and then two $100 bills come out. And then he takes the mark with him to the bank and has them both authenticated. 
And the truth is, it's not complicated at all. He would just preload the thing with a second $100 bill or sometimes a few to like really sell it that were contained in a secret compartment. And so once he gets the bills out to authenticate it, it's empty and it won't spit out any more bills. And he'd be like, oh, no, sacre bleu, you cannot have my marvelous magical machine. I won't sell it to you. (laughs) And he fucking Tom Sawyers them and tricks them into offering ridiculous prices for this useless box. They get it. And he's just like, no, it works. You just don't know how to fucking use it. It's fine. Give a point to Joel. Um, because, because, oh, let me tell you. So it's just a mahogany box with a bunch of unnecessary mechanisms and levers with an, uh, em- an empty secret compartment. So it's, ba- it's basically what Bill Gates did with like computers. I don't know. That- it works fine. You I don't just know don't know how to use it. I don't know enough about Bill Gates to know if that's true, that's not true. or funny, but, um, so jo- Joel, he famously sells the box to a Texas sheriff who pursues him and catches him and then Vic cons him again into believing he's just operating it incorrectly. And Vic gives him a bunch of, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It does work. It does work. You were just using it incorrectly. Um, I'm so sorry. Here's a bunch of money for you as compensation. And then when that Texas sheriff takes it to the bank and by this time Vic is long gone, they tell him that it's counterfeit money. <laughs> so he continues to scheme and scam and con mostly counterfeiting. Now that's where that, that becomes a new love of his life. Mm. And then his downfall is so lame and predictable. His girlfriend finds out that he's having an affair with a younger woman and spite calls the FBI. Oh. Yeah. That's just like, ugh, of course. Why couldn't he be in the walls, Caitlin? <laughs> no. If, if, only, in if the walls. only they had met in the walls. I just pictured, I don't know what it is when you start telling that part of the story. I just pictured they were in the walls. Yeah. In the walls. Well, because I said secret meeting, yeah. but it was secret just like what the meeting was about. They met just in like a room of a I, Parisian a hotel. A room anyone can walk into. I just don't yeah. know why you're going into the walls here. Why, why wouldn't you just have like a secret room? Or like you say, like the elevator opens on the wrong side and everybody's like, oh, secret yeah, hallway. Chris, yeah, Chris, go- what's, what's behind an elevator? The wall. The wall. I, I, okay. <laughs> so on May 10th, 1935, after his, his girlfriend calls the FBI, Tricky Vic is arrested in New York and charged with counterfeiting. And then, oh, hey, this man is ridiculous. The day, <laughs> the day before his trial, he pulls one more scheme and escapes from the Federal House of Detention in New York City by faking an illness so that people don't come in and then using a makeshift rope to climb out of the building. Wow. However, he's recaptured again 27 days later in Pittsburgh. So he pleads guilty and he's sentenced to 15 years in Alcatraz, which is ah. like horde. Yeah. <laughs> and then, he, but he did die a few years later of pneumonia. Yeah, in um, Alcatraz? In Alcatraz, yeah. It's yeah. the place you don't want to die. Yeah. Um, Top three places you don't want to die. Alcatraz. The moon. The moon. And the Eiffel Tower. And the Eiffel Tower. The big three. (laughs) Those are the big three. Also, well, uh, you you get to be a ghost, right? Like if you die in Alcatraz, you're definitely a ghost. That's what it means. You're a ghost, yeah. That's the rule. That's pretty good. That is pretty Mm -hmm. cool. Haunting Alcatraz. Mm -hmm. That's the title of my autobiography. Haunting Alcatraz. Okay. So then the last thing I'll mention, which is pretty cool, is that there ended up being a famous little list of the Ten Commandments for Con Men that was attributed to Victor Lustig. So I'll Commandments. The Commandments. Holy why did I Chris? Nice. <laughs> Give Chris a point. Oh, for that one. Yeah. How did I'm so dumb, Caitlin? Um so I'll read these quickly because they're cute. Um, number one, be a patient listener. Number two, never look bored. Number three, wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions, then agree with them. Ooh. Number four, let the other person reveal religious views, then have the same ones. Number five, hint at sex talk, but don't follow it up unless the other person shows a strong interest. Number six, never discuss illness unless some special concern is shown. Number seven, never pry into a person's personal circumstances. They'll tell you all eventually. Number eight, never boast. Just let your importance be quietly obvious. Number nine, never be untidy. And number 10, never get drunk. And there you have it, folks. The 10 commandments for con men. The 10 commandments. Yeah. Take a point away from me. Whoa. Wow. Wow. No, do it. I did. Um, Good. Uh, So, yeah. 
That's hmm. ridiculous, right? Yeah. That is awesome, though. Re- it's ridiculous. Do you ever anybody notice how many how many uh, how many boxes uh, Donald Trump ticks on that uh, list of commandments? Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> he's no not kidding. sly at all, though. No, no, he's very bad. He's Just very a bad at bubbling them. fucking. I'm idiot. just saying that you can tell that he's trying to follow all those, and yeah. he's constantly drunk. Yeah. <laughs> well, that means he's not following them. <laughs> right. That would be yeah, the opposite. But you were saying he's bad at it. He right. Is. He is, he's bad at it, but he's, he's bad trying. At, he's trying to do those. He's bad at it. Let's just end it there. <laughs> cool. We're experts. Welcome. We're back. And it's a sexy topic. Sexy. Josh is going to be going. He's sounding sexy. Kind of like a male... Scarlett Johansson. He's playing a stereotypically Asian character, but he's white. And this is uh, this is Josh. Sexy. Take it away, Scarlett. Oh, this is really sexy. Everyone dies. <laughs> nice. Everyone dies. Some people do cool stuff before they die. Most of us are losers, and we don't do cool stuff before we die. Yeah. But today, I'm going to talk about someone that did some cool stuff before he died. He was the one and only American treasure, Abe Vigoda. Oh, oh Abe Vigoda. Yeah. Abe Vigoda was oh. in Good Burger. I yeah. Kaylin gets a point. Uh, Abe yeah. Vigoda had a Hell website yeah. talking about whether or not he was alive. All right. Well, your guys are just and- gonna train wreck my I'm entire sorry, fucking we topic. We love Abe Vigoda. <laughs> we really won't apologize. Good. Chris gets a point too. Okay. Let it happen. That's the only point I'll steal. Abraham Charles Vigoda was oh, born on February 24th, 1921 in Ooh. Brooklyn, New York. His parents were Russian Jewish immigrants, which explains those powerfully dense eyebrows. Yeah. And uh, he got started acting at a pretty young age, beginning with stage acting in his teens. He was a member of the American Theater Wing, and he did lots of Shakespeare performances and started a more professional acting career in 1947 when he was like 25 or 26. He did a bunch of off-Broadway productions and worked his way into some actual Broadway productions in the 1960s, and that's when his career really took off. Some of his Broadway appearances include the persecution and assassination of Jean-Paul Marat as performed by the inmates of Asylum of Charenton under the direction of the Marquis de Saidi. Is that the, the name? That's the name of the entire thing. Usually <laughs> it's just shortened to Marat slash Saidi. I think that's how it's said. Okay. He performed in The Man in the Glass Booth. He was in Inquest. He was in Tough to Get Help. I don't really know about any of those plays. I'm really not into theater at all whatsoever, but he was in all of them. <laughs> and then in 1972, he scored one of his most famous roles as Salvatore Tessio uh, in The Godfather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Like all other movies, I have not seen The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you are bad at the movies, huh? Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, But (laughs) Abe had a pretty big role as the right-hand man of one of Don Vito's sons. Mm. Uh, He portrays the guy, and he gets killed. But that role really put him on a different level of fame. And he allegedly landed that role in an open audition where actors without agents could just kind of stroll in off the street and just (laughs) give it their very best shot. He always kind of looked like he just strolled in off the street. I mean, he's Abe Vigoda. Yeah. 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 It was good luck. Uh, In 1975, he started playing the role of a character by the name of Phil Fish in the sitcom Barney Miller. Phil Fish was an NYPD detective known for his world-weary demeanor and consistent hemorrhoids. Oh, that's what you want to be known for. <laughs> always a classic bit. Yeah. Yeah. Always oh, I said good. I said consistent hemorrhoids. I meant constant hemorrhoids, but I guess that's consistency. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, <laughs> they were the same every time. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, at this audition, his agent forced him to go to the studio as quickly as possible. Abe just finished a five-mile run, which uh, could explain how he lived as long as he did. And uh, when he got to the studio, he didn't have a chance to shower or change or anything like that. So he rolled in there sweaty as shit, wearing presumably short shorts because it was the 1970s. Mm. And the did producers he have socks on to catch any of that? Almost definitely. And the producers were like, "You look terrible. You smell awful. You look like someone that would have hemorrhoids." We love it you got the job <laughs> you look like someone who would have so in 1977 phil fish got his own tv spinoff called fish, fish uh. oh you almost had it yeah 
Uh, In France, was it called poisson? <laughs> <laughs> Kayla gets a point. Okay. <laughs> you said okay. Like, well, I was okay. expecting that point, but thank you. Oh, no, I was just like, yes. Uh, so dumb. <laughs> but the show Fish portrayed Fish's personal life. And in the show, Fish and his wife became the foster parents of five racially mixed children. And the initial idea for the show was just to show Fish's home life with his wife and his daughter and some guy that was trying to borp his daughter. So <laughs> the concept kind of flew off the rails because then they were like, let's just give them this like weird mix of a bunch of adopted kids <laughs> for purposes Wait, I don't what understand. What was the year again? 1977. Yeah, they were doing that a lot. Oh, yeah, they, they were, were really pushing lot. it. Yeah. Different strokes. Mm. Yep. All of them. So The other ones. <laughs> the, other, the other ones. Abe really wanted to star in his own show, so he left Barney Miller to work full-time on Fish. But Fish only lasted for two seasons, and none of the producers really wanted to make that spinoff in the first place. But Abe was so insistent. He was just like, please, oh, I want a show. And that's exactly what he sounded like. <laughs> yeah, accurate. That's Josh a great got impression, sick actually. just so he could do a He's good like, Abe Pagoda oh, impression. Oh, man, I got Abe Pagoda coming up. It kind of sounds like Abe was pouting. This was like a 56-year-old man stamping his feet. He's like, I want my own show. And they were like, okay, Abe, we'll give you your little show. But then he got a little cocky and he asked for too much money for uh, the third Ooh. season. And they were just like, nope, it's over. They Terrence the Howard did it. Yeah. You can. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, Chris got that. Yeah, I didn't. My dad will. It's over my head. Um, well, in the show, they framed it as the group home lost funding and the city is taking the kids back. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty rough way to just abruptly <laughs> end the show. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, and then in 1982, Abe Vigoda died. No. Well... <laughs> He didn't really die, but People Magazine mistakenly reported him as dead oh, by referring right. to him as, quote, the late Abe Vigoda. That and that's the reason, is that the reason for the website? That was, well, it that was the happening. catalyst. This is, so, um, this little mishap started a 34-year-long rumor that Abe Vigoda was dead. Mm -hmm. In fact, the section on his Wikipedia page talking about mistaken reports of his death is longer than the section detailing his acting career. <laughs> oh, no. That's was it like, is it sort of the Mandela effect? Mm, yes. Yes and no. Um, so, Vigoda allegedly... At least, at least he yes-anded me. <laughs> <laughs> And then I negged you. <laughs> so Vigoda allegedly had a lot of people go up to him and be like, wow, you look a lot like <laughs> Abe Vigoda. No. Too bad he's dead, though, huh? And he, he didn't even do Good Burger yet. No, he didn't even do Good Burger yet. And in 1987, a TV reporter in Secaucus, New Jersey, oh, of also referred to him as the late Abe Vigoda. <laughs> Can I just say, Secaucus sounds right with that voice. Yeah. Secaucus. Secaucus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he used false reports of his. He used false reports of his death to appear on late night television shows and talk shows and whatnot. So he was like, "Cool, people think I'm dead. Let me use this as a platform you to, gotta. you know, keep talk, my career talk going." About fish, yeah. <laughs> In 1997, in one of his most iconic, memorable, and impactful roles as Otis, the fry guy yeah. in Good Burger, yes. <laughs> Vigoda's character said he should have died years ago, and other characters kept giving him shit all the time for just being an old dude. See, I didn't... Those went right over my head. Yeah. See, there was, <laughs> there was a lot of ageism in Good Burger. It's really problematic. <laughs> <laughs> During a skit on an episode of A Late Night with David Letterman, Letterman was trying to summon the ghost of Abe Vigoda. And then Abe busts in and is like, I'm not dead yet, you pinhead. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I just like calling David Letterman a pinhead. Who <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you call a pinhead? <laughs> Anyone nice. get that loose SpongeBob reference? Yeah. Chris was there. Yeah. Chris is, loose. Chris is the guy that gets all the references. Yeah. So in 2001... In May of 2001, pre-9-11, a website called AbeVigoda.com just went up, and its whole purpose <laughs> is to tell you whether or not Abe Vigoda is alive. I don't want to throw a wrench in your topic, but isn't it Abe Vigoda status? No, now? it is not. Really? It is just AbeVigoda.com. Oh, so... I think Take if, a point away from Chris. Well, well hold on. I think, <laughs> I think if you do Abe Vigoda status, it redirects it you. It might. I tried doing... 
abevagodastatus.com, and that was not a website. Okay, hold on. And it's just abevagoda.com. And then at the, the top, two... the title says Abe Status. Okay, that's probably right. So it's very easy to conflate. So Google might just spit that out. Bear, it's a Berenstein Bears situation. Yes, that's yeah. the Nelson Mandela effect. Just it's the just the Mandela Bears situation. Just a Mandela but, effect. But for almost fifteen years, <laughs> that website just simply said Abe Vigoda is alive with a little portrait of Abe Vigoda. But on January twenty sixth, oh. two thousand sixteen, oh. Abe was updated because Abe died. I remember For real this time. I remember this day. I, still, I do too. I, I checked it as soon as I heard the news. Out. I was like, I got to see if they updated it. And of course, they probably, they probably had like a uh, someone in the room mm. when he died. Yeah, updated, <laughs> updating so, it. I remember this day specifically because uh, Josh and I were together on this day, and uh, we were both working at. Uh, we worked at the same place at the time, and Josh coming back from his break. And uh, he ah, comes. So he comes that, in the room. It's a place that has breaks. It was Whole that's Foods. A, we were working hint. at Whole Foods. We I worked know, at Whole okay. Foods. Was together. I there yet too? I think I was there yeah, too. You were yeah, there. Was 2016. There. Yeah, you. We were probably there. Uh-huh. We were probably uh-huh. all working there. Kaylin, shit. You may have, no. You weren't working <laughs> there at Whole Foods, but at that um, time. but anyway, Josh comes in the room and he goes, "Chris, it finally happened." <laughs> With a big smile on his face. I'm <laughs> no, sure, I'm sure I was it was crying. Well, I, I think you were smiling because you were in disbelief. I don't think you were genuinely happy about it. Because, you know, Abe Vigoda was kind of, he was like the... He was a rock for Vitamin Sun yeah. getting us off the ground. He was the together. Really, yeah. I got to see if I could find that flyer where we just took six copies of Abe Vigoda's face and it's Chris true. just drew really shitty Microsoft Paint things on top of them. Just like blacking out a tooth or giving him an eye patch. Yeah. Thank, thanks a lot, Abe. Um, anyway, <laughs> he's the reason we're all here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that website uh, was updated. Yeah. and uh, But in his... Uh, 94, very close to 95 years on this planet, Abe Vigoda appeared in a ton of films and TV shows, mostly in very minor roles. Some of his movie appearances include The Godfather, The Devil's Daughter, The Dawn is Dead, The Cheap Detective, The Big Stuff Dog, The Stuff, Vasectomy, A Delicate Matter, Look Who's Talking, <laughs> Joe versus the Volcano, Sugar Hill, Me and the Kid, Home of Angels, Jury Duty, Love is All There Is, Underworld, Good Burger, A Brooklyn State of Mind, Witness to the Mob, Just the Ticket, Chump Change, Crime Spree, Farce of the Penguins, and his last movie <laughs> appearance was in a 2014 movie Farce. called Sweet Destiny. <laughs> so I he thought was you still... were going to say just the tip. Ah, <laughs> nice. So I didn't list every movie he was in. I was like, there are way too many. But he was still appearing in things even in his, his 90s. That guy was dedicated. Yeah. I didn't I know he it... was in Underworld. I'm trying to remember where, where he shows up in that film. See, but what I'm concerned about was like, was he working that late in his life because he had to? I know oh, he. Not. It's Samuel L. Jackson's going to do the same thing. It's because the man just like has to work. That's He's very like, true. That's how my work ethic is. That my family taught me to work every day of my life. That's what I need to do, and that's why he's in sm- several movies every year. Well, and I bet you he'll be working till he dies too. So but, you know he's great. In addition to all the movies he was in, he was also in a bunch of TV shows. Such as Dark Shadows, which was an old-timey soap opera, mm-hmm. Hawaii Five-0, mm. Barney Miller, The mm. Bionic Woman, Fish, BJ and the Bear, The Littlest Hobo, <laughs> Superboy, Monster, <laughs> MacGyver, oh. Lucky Luke, Law and Order, mm. Wings, Late mm. Night with Conan O'Brien, Ooh. and High School USA with an exclamation mm. point. Is oh. Dark Shadows the one that vampire one? I think so, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. You left that, that part out. It's didn't Johnny Depp do a movie? Yeah, Johnny Depp did some movies. He did that. Uh, <laughs> he did that the Pirates of the Caribbean oh, yeah. franchise. <laughs> right, right, oh, right. Full Almost circle. Almost forgot. Thanks, Chris. But, uh, did, oh, did he do any Quantum Leap, Josh? Did you see a Quantum How Leap? How many Quantum Leaps? Uh, he was in all six. <laughs> okay. All six leaps. <laughs> I just feel like, for some reason... I'm picturing him in Quantum Leap. I don't know why. Can Joel get a point for picturing him in Quantum Leap? <laughs> I'm not looking um, for that. I'm, I'm picturing giving Joel a point. Oh, nice. So, uh, so yeah. Abe Vigoda is a treasure, and he's actually dead. Yeah. What a guy. What a guy. R.I.P. Well, AveVigoda.com. We're going to go now. 
Welcome back. Uh, we are so excited to have our voices back next time, for sure, 100%. We just need to go home and charge them a little bit longer. Yeah. And we had some points. We had some fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Droopy. Thanks, Jeremiah. Just, yeah, you can think of yeah, you, it. Yeah, no, you're doing it. Okay. Yep. Jeremiah Sweet. Matthews does all the artwork, mm-hmm. and uh, Chris does all the music and all the editing and all mm-hmm. the producing, and mm-hmm. we we do all the show, the rest of it, mm-hmm. the rest of the show. Josh keeps track of points. Thanks, Josh, for that. Um, do you want to rest your voice and let Chris read how many points? Do you want to do it? You want to just give I'll it do to it. us? Okay. All right, producer Josh. <laughs> do, do give me more cowbell, Caitlin. <laughs> yeah. You and I got two points. Great. Finally, this is funny. Chris and Joel both got five points. Okay, well, <laughs> nice. It's our turn. All right, so let's play Super Smash Brothers next time. Yeah. Or should yeah. just Chris go first because Joel went first? No, they should play Super Smash Brothers. Okay, yeah, because that'll be way better than when Caitlin and I play. No offense. Well, I mean, either way, Chris, Chris might. I have a feeling Chris is gonna beat me at this game because I don't play this game very what much. What if we choose each other's characters? Ooh, I don't like that. Ooh, idea, no, let's do that. I know that I'm probably good with a one character, and you're definitely good with all of them. Not all of them. <laughs> no, you should. We should. You should pick each other's. Okay, I don't know what that means. You should but... pick each other's butthole. <laughs> oh boy! All right, so um, next. Speaking of next time, what are y'all gonna talk about? Next week on one out of four <laughs> experts. <laughs>a big one that felt short dude i was trying to rush through that i thought you guys were I, gonna... I have a slightly bigger one than i thought i added some stuff to it I have a slightly bigger one than i thought. yeah I, I, always... I say that every morning on the toilet <laughs> <laughs> experts